Cool deal. So we are uh, journeying through uh, the middle part of Luke's gospel narrative, walking with Jesus to Jerusalem. I don't think, I uh, can't think of a better way to, to lead up to Easter um, compared to this, like just walking with Jesus leading up to Easter. So he sets his face to Jerusalem at the end of chapter 9, and we've been ambitiously going this winter and spring uh, to uh, Luke chapter 19, the triumphal entry. So hopefully we'll hit that by April. Uh, but we're going kind of at a high, high pace. And so this week we're going to uh, split chapter 15 into two weeks. Very familiar passage of scripture. Um, uh, very encouraging passage of scripture as well. But also uh, I think a very challenging one. And so I want to bring that uh, to light this morning uh, as we look at uh, the text together. So uh, we love finding things that are lost, right? Megan loves this photo. Probably because she loves her own cats. Uh, but this was our cat, Moxie. Uh, she died a couple years ago. But she was known uh, for vanishing when we would leave town. And so some of my former students, poor girls, had to uh, panic because I can't find Moxie. And so Kendall Bowman and uh, Rachel Bright and others, just I feel bad for them. Because uh, we'd escape midwinter uh, like we uh, like to do between our birthdays or around our birthdays to go to some warmer weather. Uh, good plan for everybody. Uh, but Moxie would vanish. And so one time Moxie vanished for the whole week. Kendall was driving around with friends looking for everywhere. And we were worried because uh, Rachel was not a cat person until we got Moxie. And this was a barn cat that ended up staying inside for the most part. And so gripped our hearts. And so we were concerned Sitting on a beach somewhere, we're concerned about Moxie. Hope she's okay. Hope nothing bad happened to her. Hope she's not starving to death or freezing to death. And then as soon as we got home, poor Kendall, because it didn't work for her, but as soon as we pulled into the driveway, getting home from this trip, uh, we call out for Moxie, and she's out in our field. She pops her head up <laughs> and runs to us. Homeward bound type moment for Moxie and for us. Tears. Did we cry for Moxie? Probably not this time, but um, we cried for this little guy, Wiggles. Um, one time we were on our horses up in the Bighorns, and uh, I don't know if he caught scent of a deer or something, but we had stopped, gotten off our horse, and read the maps uh, to see, navigate our way to whatever falls we were going to. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, I can't find Wiggles. And... Um, a long time later, six and a half hours later, we found him at, um, or someone else found him at the trailhead back where we had driven by before even starting. And we had talked to park rangers and said, hey, he's gone this long. He's not going to survive out here with the predators. Uh, we're probably not going to find him if we don't find him today. And uh, we thought he was gone. And then we were split up, and so I was, horses were back, and then we went by foot. We used our other dog, Belle, to like, do your thing, Belle. You're a retriever. Go retrieve Wiggles. <laughs> so she was helping, and um, yeah, she was helping. Rachel doesn't think she was. Because she, <laughs> separate occasions, Belle has been the one to find Wiggles and be the savior of the day. Um, but these people found Wiggles, and then I was, then I, then I got him. And I raced back to Rachel, and so back on the trail, and then, we, I mean, tears, everything, I let Wiggles, his, hand, his paws were all torn up and uh, just really sore. 
uh, for that long, going through the mountains and whatever. And it was, it was a homeward bound moment, like for us. We've lived this out numerous times with dogs especially. And, um, but we love finding things that are lost, right? Uh, we have a neat, neat device on our watches where when you, when you lose your phone, you can press a button on your watch and your phone will sound an alarm. Isn't that awesome? Because sometimes we lose our glasses or our phones or anything like that when they're on the top of our head or they're in our purse or whatever. And we panic because we love these things and we value these things. And then we celebrate. We celebrate when we find them, don't we? I mean, how much more will we celebrate in the passage we're going to look at today? So I want to start by correcting some bad theology and looking at uh, the context that these parables are framed in. And, and you know the parables of Luke chapter 15, the parable lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Uh, better, you know, headings would be the parable of the shepherd and the woman and the parable of the father, focusing on those seeking what's lost rather than focusing on what is lost. I think that's the emphasis here. But notice these words in Luke chapter 15, and this frames the whole chapter of parables. And so Luke says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so what's being implied here, like they're they're not a friendly response to what Jesus is doing or who Jesus is hanging around with. And so they say this man, and there's, there's contempt in their voices in the original language here, This man welcomes, accepts, embraces sinners. And in their mind, sinners were those, uh, whether it was their occupation uh, or their lifestyle, people that had no interest in God at all. And so compared to the Pharisees and the uh, uh, leaders, um, the temple leaders uh, and the experts in the law, these people did want to preserve who God is and preserve his commands and live according to who, uh, what, what he instructs us to do. But uh, they looked at everybody else, tax collectors, sinners in general. Jesus has already invited a tax collector to follow him, right? We've seen that. Remember his name? Matthew, Levi, right? And so he's pretty awesome that he writes another gospel narrative for us. But here's the implied bad theology, And I think this is maybe even worse today because it's not even stated. It's more subtle today. Uh, We're going to look at, well, let me read the parable, just to tease you. Let's read the parable first. So notice, verse 3, Jesus told them this parable, singular, even though we're going to see three parables in the text. But we have one unit of thought, three stories that Jesus is going to tell to counteract some bad theology that we see in verses 1 and 2 that I'll get back to. All right, so then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has uh, 10 silver coins 
and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then we get into the parable of the prodigal son, as, as it's famously referred to. But, but the context here is Jesus is hanging with tax collectors and sinners. People in their day were known to have no interest at all in God. And yet there's something about Jesus very attractive to them. Isn't that awesome? Like, I have no religious background. I have no interest in God. But look at this person, Jesus. I want to be next to him. I want to listen to him. I want to be around him. I want to follow him. Uh, If only that was the case even today, where Jesus was so attractive, where Jesus was the greatest treasure, as we say, that even the midst of religiosity and all sorts of, uh, you know, the hypocrisy in modern-day religion, just look at Jesus. Uh, But the bad theology is this. God is happy when those who know him and love him insulate themselves from those who don't. When those who are found by him separate themselves from those who are lost. That's bad theology, that God is pleased or happy about that. Right? So that's implied in in these first two verses. Uh, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus because there's something attractive about this Jesus. There's no one like him. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And this idea of eating with them, table fellowship, was uh, not just accommodating them, but almost it was kind of thought of as you're accepting their lifestyles. And so they're looking at Jesus and saying, why would you hang with people like that, people who have that background, who, people who do this, people who have that job, people who are known for this. Why would you hang with them? And so we could say this negatively. God is unhappy when people who know him hang with those who don't. And that's bad theology. Luke has actually been correcting that bad theology throughout his narrative. Well, yeah. If you go back to Luke 5, this is in the context um, well, he has called Levi the tax collector. And uh, what does the text say? After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples similar language. They're grumbling, they're complaining, they're muttering, they're upset with Jesus, they're ticked off. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answers them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've called to, uh, come to call sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist sends his own disciples to Jesus to say, hey, are you really the promised Messiah? John should know, but he's in prison and he's wondering, bad things are happening to me. Just want to make sure. Uh, and so Jesus is comparing uh, the Pharisees' reaction to, to John and to himself. And so Jesus says this, For John came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man, referring to himself, Jesus came eating, drinking, eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend, here's the accusation, the indictment, a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
Right after that passage, we have uh, Jesus is at a dinner party of a Pharisee and a woman uh, who is known, we don't know her sin, but she's known as a sinful woman from that town, well-known, whatever she's involved in, comes uh, and invites herself into the party. Uh, When one Pharisee invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him uh, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, if this man really were someone from God, someone of God, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. If this man really was from God, he wouldn't let this woman touch him, implied, right? That's the accusation the Pharisees, the religious leaders are uh, indicting Jesus with, that she is a sinner. And so it brings us to this portion in Luke 15, where sinners and tax collectors are flocking to see Jesus, to sit at his feet, to hear his teaching, to be healed by him, to be taught by him, to interact with him. Jesus hanging with those who are lost, those are marginalized, those are outcasts, those who are sinful. Not the religious elite, but those who are the opposite. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so the bad theology Luke is countering uh, through Jesus' parables here is God is happy when those who know God and love him and follow him insulate themselves, separate themselves from those who don't. That somehow that pleases God, that somehow that is a good thing to do, that God celebrates. And that is bad theology. And Luke's going to give us, through Jesus' teaching here, three parables that are counteracting that bad theology. You with me so far? Okay. You see how this is bad theology today, too? How dare you hang out? Right? If you love God, you wouldn't hang out with people like them. Right? Same thing then is now uh, true today, maybe more subtle, right? The whispers, the accusations. Hey, do you know Andrew's been hanging out there or with that person or listening to that music or, right? Okay. So three, three ideas that I think Luke gives us. Uh, quickly, and we're just going to look at the first two of the three parables, parable, one parable, uh, three stories. Uh, we'll look at the, uh, the illustration of the younger brother and older brother and father next Sunday. And we'll look at us in relation to each one of those, uh, which will be really important. And so a couple words as we read the text again to look for. Words or ideas. Uh, lost, found, the joy that God has when someone or something is lost, was lost is now found. And the reaction to those or that whatever that was lost is now found. How they turn a different direction and move forward. Okay, so look for these four words or ideas as we read the text another time. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus... But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so the first idea is this. Jesus passionately pursues lost people. Right? We've seen that left and right through the book of Luke. Jesus is passionately pursuing those who are lost, those who don't know him, those who don't treasure him, those who haven't placed their trust in him. And so his teaching, his miracles are all pointing to who he is and why he's come. He's seeking, we're going to see later in Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus, I have come to seek and to save the lost, Jesus says. And Zacchaeus was, by profession, a tax collector, known as one of the worst in town because they were Jews by ethnicity, but they were traitors. They, they were traitors uh, to their own people and worked for the Roman government And then not only did they collect taxes on behalf of Rome, but then they skimmed the excess for themselves. I know Rayanne doesn't do this, but not to put her on the spot, uh, but they were just, they were despised. There was nothing worse than being a tax collector back in that day. They were traitors to their own people. So tax collectors uh, and sinners. And so Jesus is passionately pursuing those who are lost. God is searching Uh, passionately for us. And I just think of my own story, God pursuing me. And I grew up in a loving Christian home, a great uh, local church, mom and dad who loved Christ, older sisters who loved Christ. I had the benefit uh, by God's grace of people pointing me to Christ. People and circumstances, and you know some names, not just my family, but you know my seminary professor, Dr. Russell, uh, my pastor, Todd Chapman, uh, back in college, a mentor named Wally Norling, these guys pointing me to Christ, God using these people in my life to pursue me, to find me, right? And so I just, just think of uh, people, places, circumstances where that God has used to passionately pursue me. And maybe you can think of the same circumstances in life or people that God has put in your life so that he passionately is pursuing you because we are all lost and yet he's going to find us, or he passionately seeks to find us. And so just think of that. I'll remind you of that at the end. But God's been pursuing us. Uh, God is continuing to pursue us. And the one motive behind it is he loves us. Simply that. He loves us too much to let us wander. Right? And so even when we read the text again, verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep? What does it say there? For an hour? For an afternoon? Until the weather gets cold? No, Jesus says, until he finds it. Right? And not recklessly leaving the 99 in danger. They probably had a setup there where there were other shepherds to kind of 
uh, keep the rest safe. Like it's not forsaking the 99 to pursue one, but I love that one so much that I'm gonna go look for it until I find it. We weren't leaving the Bighorn Mountains until we found Wiggles, to be honest. We had plans to bring horses home and then bring camping gear back up and stay there and also, right? There was no way we were gonna find him. Didn't matter the time or circumstances, she had enough sick days, whatever, right? And how much more? God is using uh, examples from the, from the lesser to the greater here, right? A lost sheep, a lost coin. Now we have a lost son, we'll look at next week. Examples from the lesser to greater, just a point at God's love for us so much that he's going to passionately seek us until he finds us. Ruthlessly, maybe is a better word than recklessly, but... God is really happy every time a lost person is found, right? Counteracting the bad theology, right? Where bad theology is this, God is happy when those who love him insulate themselves from those who don't, right? Because if you're doing that or hanging out with them, you must not love God. That's what their perspective was in the first century. Similar today, but a whole lot more subtle. But really, the example is this. God's really happy when someone lost is now found, Right? And so the text says, when he finds it, right, speaking of the sheep here and the shepherd, he puts it on his shoulders and goes home. So with, Rachel help, with Rachel's help, I looked at great YouTube videos of just how stupid sheep are. And people pulling them out of, like, right, there was just two little legs hanging up, and the, the shepherd's, like, yanking them out of this hole. And uh, just how sheep often just kind of lay down and give up and don't want to help you out. So it makes sense that the shepherd picks him up on his shoulders and carries him all the way back home. We don't know how far he went. But he gets home, and the text doesn't say, oh, he just gets a drink of water, he's so tired. The text says he goes to his friends and neighbors and says, hey, I've found my lost sheep. Let's celebrate, let's party, let's rejoice. Or suppose a coin, uh, and in Greek it's a Greek word drachma, and it's equivalent to probably... Uh, the Roman denarius, uh, kind of a day's wages. But one commentator says this lost coin would have had a value of a sheep. This coin would have paid for a sheep. And so just how brilliant Jesus is using these examples. Maybe that's true. I don't exactly know, but I'm going to trust this commentator. And um, when she finds a lost coin, she goes to her friends and neighbors and says, hey, I've lost, I found my lost coin. Let's party. Let's celebrate. And God, Jesus is using these examples in both, in both instances. He says, in the same way, there's more rejoicing in God's perspective when a lost person is found. Here's some examples from everyday life. A sheep is lost, shepherd goes find it. A coin is lost, a woman goes find it. Lesser to the greater. But how much more does God rejoice when someone who is far off, someone who is lost, someone who has no interest in who God is, is found? How much greater is that? How much greater is the celebration? God is partying uh, when someone, one person who is lost, then is found. And so I, I wonder what pictures you have of God's emotions when he, he considers you. What does God think of? What, what comes into your mind when you think about God's perspective or God's feeling when he thinks about you? And I grew up thinking... God's perspective of me probably, probably was disappointment. That's how I went through the motions as a kid. 
growing up, before I started re- reading scripture for myself, before I really helped using scripture to identify who God is and who I am in light of who he is, right? I went from disappointment to when God thinks of me, he celebrates. He's d- deliriously happy. He parties because I was lost and now I'm found, right? And so I, I think that would be a healthier perspective for us to wrap our minds around when we think about God's, God's feeling when he thinks about you and me, rather than shame on you or disappointment or whatever, that God ruling upstairs like an old man with a cane, right? No, God loves us that much, that he sought us out, people, circumstances, everything, events of life, to passionately pursue us, and he's really happy every, t- every time someone is found. And the last point that's not stated in the text, but implied, and Luke has been teaching us this throughout this narrative, but uh, an inevitable byproduct of being found is to then go help lost people be found. So God is not only happy when lost people are found, but God's happy when those who are found by him go and help or are used by them to help other lost people be found. Right? That's Luke's perspective throughout this narrative, right? He often has said, hey, go and tell, right? He sent out 72. He sent out the disciples separately. He's, he said an expression of experiencing my love and grace is to express that in and through your lives and even verbally share the love of Christ with those in your life. And so one of the take-homes really is, hey, do, we, do you have non-Christian friends? We, we have to have non-Christian friends. We can't segregate ourselves, we can't separate or insulate ourselves from those who don't love God. A byproduct, bless you, of experiencing who God is and his love and being found is therefore going out and sharing that with others and helping other lost people being found. I mentioned this before, but Jesus is going to give us a purpose statement just before he enters Jerusalem. And this is the context of Zacchaeus is hanging from the tree. And we have that song and flannel board from kids, our kids' days and all those things. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to you, your house, because you too are a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save what's lost. So is God happy when we insulate ourselves from those who don't know him, don't trust him, don't treasure him? Rather the opposite. God tells us to go to those people because God wants to find them. God is passionately pursuing them. God is going to celebrate when he finds them. God's going to use us to help point people to Christ. Even people like sinners and tax collectors who have no interest in God, but then they see the beauty of Christ. There's nothing like him. There's nobody like him. And so I pray as a church that we would be known for just demonstrating uh, tangibly in our lives that Jesus is that greatest treasure, that there's no, joy, there's no greater joy uh, than knowing him. And so people see that and they want a piece of that because they're lost, they're desperate, they're separated. They're wandering hopelessly and helplessly. So a couple takeaways, then we'll kind of transition to communion here. Spend some time this week Maybe an hour, maybe half hour, maybe sometimes you sit and your mind wanders and you start thinking about your, you know, your sports team and whatever. But 
Contemplate the eternal magnitude of God's love for you. Who are the people and places that God has used to draw yourself to him, to find you when you were lost? So spend some time thinking about that, asking Jesus to fully uh, help us more fully experience uh, his love for us in Christ. Uh, Secondly, happily, desperately plan an interaction with someone who doesn't treasure Christ, someone who's lost. Intentionally talk to someone who has not placed their faith in Christ. And I say happily because if you don't do it happily, don't do it at all. Don't make them a project. If someone's a project, don't do it. Just share the love that you've experienced. Express the love that you've experienced, the grace that you've experienced through who God is in Christ and who we are in light of who he is. We can do that, right? I think so. Uh, If you're not motivated to pursue a relationship with someone who's lost, prayerfully ask God to reveal why that's the case, why that might be. And so some soul searching. Why am I separating, segregating, insulating myself, myself from others? When God has called all of us to go share the hope that's found in Christ, the joy that's found only in him. So we're going to transition to communion. Um, Tanya made a new song that I'm going to have you just listen to as we, uh, as we kind of prepare for communion. And then we'll sing it next week. You might recognize it from uh, the radio or Spotify or whatever. And the song's called Reckless Love. I mentioned it last week. Not sure reckless is the word I would use. Reckless seems to say, hey, we're going to forget the 99, put them in danger and harm's way, and seek the one. Uh, I think it's more intentional. Passionately pursuing us is the expression we get in these parables. Uh, And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to actually do something different. As Tanya plays that song, uh, I'll have you kind of just meditate, look at these words, listen to these words, uh, meditate on the truth of these words in light of the passage we just read. And uh, we're, we're going to ask you ac- actually to actively come and take communion. Um, and so I'm going to put some communion up here and then some over there. And then during this song, if you would just come grab um, some bread and grab a cup and bring it back to your, uh, where you're seated. Uh, and then at the end of the song, or once everybody has communion, we'll partake together. So let me pray and then we'll transition to that. God, thanks for your love. Thanks for who you are. In Christ, thanks for passionately pursuing us when we're lost. Thanks for using people and circumstances, events in our lives, mentors, family, teachers, uh, to point us to you, to pursue uh, our hearts and minds so that we can go from being lost to being found. Would we realize how much joy there is that comes from you Um, when you think about us, how happy you are that we were lost and now we're found, and how happy you are when, when you use us to help other lost people find you. There's nothing better. There's nothing more worthwhile. We desperately need Christ, and the best example of how passionately you pursue us is, uh, why you're heading to Jerusalem in this passage, this context of Luke that you set your face to Jerusalem because it's your destiny, it's your will to die on the cross, to pay the price of each and every one of our sins because you love each and every one of us that much that you would rejoice even in the worst of circumstances, the worst of deaths, 
the worst of agony and pain, you would rejoice because now those of us who are lost can be found by you through Christ, our greatest treasure. It's in his name we pray. Amen.